0: Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Janie. I'm one of the people that has the privilege of working um, here at Umen on staff. And if you've been here this quarter, you know that we've been going through a series on calling. What does it mean to say that we're called by God? Called for what? Called to where? Deciphering our call can be really confusing. It can be overwhelming. But if you listen closely tonight, if you pay attention, I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to know to find out What God's call is for your life, right? People are sitting up. Oh, God, let me write this down, right? I need to know exactly what God's call is. So pay attention. The focus of the series that we have been looking at, looking at is the idea that you've been called, but it's not about you. It's not about you. Instead, your calling is a lot more about the one who calls, the caller than it is about you. We've looked at a few characters in Scripture. We looked at Abraham, who was called by God to start this nation that God was going to bless. We looked at um, Moses, who led that group of people out of slavery in Egypt. And then we looked at Isaiah, who was a prophet, who talked to that nation, those people, and said, hey, you've kind of forgotten about God. Well, tonight we're going to look at another one of those prophets, um, the prophet Jeremiah. Now, the prophets are a part of Scripture that I think a lot of us kind of... Um, don't spend a ton of time in. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that when it comes to the Old Testament, that usually we'll, we'll read Genesis, read Exodus. We might dabble a little bit in like Ruth. Or we might um, look at uh, Samuel, you know, King David in there, Psalms and the Proverbs. But we don't spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. Um, so the way that we that we look at the Bible, I actually have a graph um, that somebody made of the way that we look at the Bible Um, In the 21st century I think this is pretty true You have your traditional baby names Joshua, John, Samuel, Ruth Um, And then you have your hipster baby names They're coming back into fashion Esther, Hosea, uh, Zephaniah If that's anyone's name in here I think it's a great name So don't feel bad that it's a hipster baby name But I did get a baby announcement in the mail Two days ago that the baby was named Hosea So um, that's just the way that it is the potential life verse material, there you have the letters of Paul, Galatians, Ephesians, Jeremiah is included in that, probably because of one verse, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, fun to say with a lisp, that's ones with a lot of S's, that's not exactly politically correct, I mean, come on. Ambiguous pluralization, Psalms, Lamentations, Revelation, and, and ambiguous pronunciation. Pronunciation, Pronunciation. am I saying that right? Um, that's ironic. Anyways, uh, Job, Habakkuk, Philemon, plural noun. And then rapper baby names is 1st and 2nd Kings, which is great. Um, and then the complete sentence, which is Hebrews. He, Bruce, I oh, know, crazy. So anyways, that's I think a lot of how we look at the Bible and the Old Testament is kind of baby names. That's pretty much how we sum up baby names. If you're familiar with Jeremiah at all, it's probably 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. If you've been to a baptism recently, you might have heard that. It's a great verse. And I don't blame you when it comes to the prophets because um, they're freaking confusing, okay? Even when you get really motivated, right? I bet you've been in a small group before if, if you've spent time in a Bible study and someone's like, let's do the prophets. Let's do Isaiah or Obadiah or Habakkuk. You know, one of those really crazy ones from the Old Testament. And then you open it up and you're like, What is going on? I mean, that is a lot of what happens when you read the prophets. What is going on? Who is talking? Who are they talking to? And what has happened that all these emotions are being spewed forth? Because that's really what you see when you see the prophets. And it's taken a while, but Jeremiah has actually become one of my favorite books in the Bible. Not just the Old Testament, but all of the Bible. Um, And not only that, but Jer, as I like to call him, Jer is one of the people in scripture that I love the most. I feel like um, he lived a crazy life. He had a rough go of it. But there's so much that we can learn from him about what it means to be a person of faith and what it means to have integrity. Integrity is something that we maybe talk about, but we don't really understand in the 21st century. What does it mean to be someone of integrity? So I'm excited to look at Jeremiah's call, that God's specific call to Jeremiah, and a little bit about his life tonight. But before we do that, I'm going to stop a minute and pray for God's presence with us. God, I thank you that you are present in this place. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all of the books of, in the Bible and what um, they have to offer us. And I pray that tonight as we open your prophet Jeremiah, God, that you would speak to us through his life, that his experiences, we might be able to connect to and learn more about what it means to answer your call. We pray for your presence and I pray that the words of my mouth, meditation of all of our hearts, will be present, be valuable in your sight tonight. I pray these things in your name, Amen. Like I said, in order to understand what's going on in the prophets, it's important to understand what was going on historically. So I'm going to do a really quick historical kind of background. So Jeremiah lived in the country of Judah, which was once a part of the country of Israel. So the people who live in Judah are Israelites. That can be confusing because it's like, who are the Judahites? Well, they don't exist because they're Israelites, um, And there was this empire to the north called the Babylonian Empire, and they were basically kicking butt and taking names. They were annihilating everything in their path, and they were threatening Judah to the north. So this is what Jeremiah was born into, kind of an unstable environment. Also, in the midst of this, the people of Judah were not doing the best job of holding up their end of the covenant that they had with God. Um, that was established with Abraham, that they were going to be blessed by God. They would be God's people. And in response, they would show loving obedience, and they would bless the world. Um, but the people of Judah, they had kind of a hard time with that. Um, they were having some troubles with that part of the covenant. They were worshiping other gods. They worshiped other gods. They worshiped the works of their own hands. Um, they didn't care for those in need. Basically, they kind of turned their backs on God. And a good word to describe what was going on is complacent optimism. Two words. Good two words to describe is complacent optimism. Okay, so these people were thinking, we're good. We are God's people. God's got our back no matter what happens. So we're fine. I'm going to be fine. We're all going to be fine. Spoiler alert. Babylon completely destroys Judah. Um Destroys Jerusalem and destroys the temple, and a bunch of the people in Judah are taken into exile. Actually, I have a picture, um, of a map that can kind of show you a little bit. So here's Judah in the south, Babylonian empire up here in the north, and along that path is the exile that they walked from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon. So they were taken to a foreign land. Um, so this is the environment that Jeremiah was born into. And, uh, we're gonna take a look at his call, and it's Jeremiah chapter one. So we'll start, um, at actually the fourth verse, because the first few verses are, um, time and place. So, um, Jeremiah chapter one. We have it on the screen. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I, f- to me, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I pointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree. I replied. I replied. (laughs) The Lord said to me, You have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. So, um, on that vision, just for a second, uh, the word in Hebrew for almond tree is Shached, and the word for watching in Hebrew is shoched, so they're really, really close to each other. So the vision was, the purpose of the vision was every time Jeremiah would see an almond tree, and there's a lot of them in Judah, and they were the first ones that would bloom in spring, he would be reminded God is watching. So there's another vision, um, if you go to the next verse. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It is tilting toward us from the north. So the pot that is boiling is probably the Babylonian empire that's threatening um, Judah. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness and forsaking me in burning incense to other gods, and in worshiping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you, Jeremiah, a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, Jeremiah, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. So there are a lot of things that I love about Jeremiah's call, but there's a few of them that I want to um, point out and that I think we can learn a lot from, Jeremiah's call specifically. And the first one is actually at the very beginning in verse 5, and it is that Jeremiah is known by the caller. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. From the start, Jeremiah is told, God knows him and calls him. Now, this is a powerful truth about the caller. God knows us before we know. Before we know, God knows. We know, God knows us, we know. God knows, or something. God knows us before we know. Think about that for a second. I mean, that is... Really huge to consider when we're trying to figure out who we are, what we're going to do, where we're going to go in our life, what it means to be called by God. We have this powerful realization that we don't have to be anxious, worried, running around, contrary to what you might think. Your life is not a puzzle that you have to gather all the pieces and put it together. There's not a code that you have to crack. We simply come to God who knows us and reveals the truth of our lives that God loves us. Jeremiah's life didn't start with Jeremiah. His salvation didn't start with him. Truth didn't start with him. It was initiated by God, the caller. Just like Jeremiah, when we enter into the world, the most essential things about us are already known by God. Now for us, when it comes to our call from God, the question boils down to, What am I supposed to do with my life, right? This is why we're all in college. I'm going to tell you a secret. If your life is built on this truth, the reality that God knows you, and you keep pursuing a life with God, it doesn't really matter to God what you do. Some people might disagree with me, but I think if you're pursuing God, it might become really clear. Here's my passions, here are my gifts, this is what I am supposed to do, but it might not. It might not be totally totally clear. The reality is there's probably no wrong decision. I don't think God really cares. If we trust that we are known by God, that is all we need to know. So Jeremiah is known by the caller. The second thing is that Jeremiah is called to be a messenger of doom, and he hates it. All right? That's a great thing to notice about Jeremiah's call. He hates it. So this is not as much fun as the first part. And Jeremiah says, sorry, I can't do it. Verse 6, Jeremiah actually says, ah, sovereign Lord. That's how I address God. Ah, sovereign Lord. I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. I'm only a boy. Being a prophet like Jeremiah is more than just saying something. He knows he's going to have to live it out in his life. He knows before he even starts, a bunch of people are going to reject me. I am going to fail miserably at this. People are not going to want to hear what I have to say. Just like Moses that Karen talked about a couple weeks ago in Isaiah last week, Jeremiah says, sorry, God, can't do it. Thanks, I'm flattered that you would consider me, that you would ask me, but no. Does that sound familiar? Is that true for you in your walk of faith? I pride myself on being a very consistent person. I am very consistent in what I do and what I say, and probably the most consistent thing that I say in my faith is, sorry, God, can't do it. I'm inadequate. It's just not going to work. like to help you out. I would, but I can't. Well, here's the thing, I think that's the point. If we look at ourselves and we are totally honest, we are always incapable. We are always inadequate. There's an enormous gap between what we think we can do and what God calls us to, and the excuses we make are legit. Jeremiah's excuses were, he was too young, nobody was gonna listen to him, but they are still excuses. Maybe it's something like, well, if If I, you know, kind of disengage from this life of partying, people are going to assume it's because of my faith and they're going to mock me. It's true. They might do that. Or I could, I, maybe I would sign up for student leadership like Adam was talking about, but I don't, I don't think I'm a good enough Christian. It's true. None of us are. If God expects me to do selfless things and take away from my time to help other people, I'm going to have to bow out. I can't do it. It reminds me of my favorite character from Seinfeld, George Costanza. Yeah, George. Um, And this woman tells George she's not going to date him because he's got his life two together. And George's response is, I'm disturbed. I'm depressed. I'm inadequate. I've got it all. Right? That is what God wants us to say. I am inadequate. God wants us to admit that. It's not our feelings that determine our participation in life. It's not how experienced we are that qualifies us for who we're going what we're going to do and who what or who we're going to be. It's what God decides about us. God chooses us not because we are qualified to live this life of faith. God chooses us in order to qualify us for what he has in store. God chooses us in order to qualify us for what he has in store. And what does God say to Jeremiah at the end of his call when Jeremiah says, I can't do it. God tells Jeremiah in verse 18, he says, um, today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. God will make him an iron pillar, impenetrable. God is the one who's going to make us strong, as strong as he knows that we need to be. When I was in college and I was sitting where you guys are, I was your age and I was trying to figure out what the heck I was going to do with my life, I had a couple people say to me, you should try working in ministry. And I think God can talk to us through other people. And my response was, sorry, no, I can't do it. I can't do it because I'm a woman. I grew up in a church where women were not preaching. They were not teaching. They were not in leadership at all. And so I thought, I can't do this. But people kept encouraging me to do it. And I was like, okay, well, I'll take these steps and see what happens. And it was difficult. I knew it was going to be difficult, and it was. There was a lot of failure. There was a lot of rejection. But God walked with me through it the whole time. And I was totally right. I'm completely inadequate but God was with me. Now, does this mean everything is gonna be totally perfect? When we step out in faith, we're a rock, right? Look at me, I'm a superhero. I'm so strong, I'm huge, check me out. (laughs) Of course not, right? We're human beings with emotions. Life is a struggle. We feel inadequate all the time. I quote the Princess Bride, life is pain. Anyone who says differently is selling you something. So let's see how Jeremiah dealt with this, right? The environment he lived in, it was a little bit difficult. So what does Jeremiah say in chapter 20, um, curse be the day I was born, may the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? You might have to read between the lines a little bit here, but Jeremiah's having a tough time. But I love that we have these verses. I find solace in them knowing that a lot of Jeremiah's life was pretty sucky. People treated him terribly. He was weak. He was emotional. It was a roller coaster. But he was always strong. And he held fast because God was with him. So Jeremiah heard this calling, right? He tried to reject it, but he decided to follow it. He held true to it. He developed into this mature amazing man of integrity with this relationship with God, that's great. That is great. But Janie, I thought I knew my calling. I knew exactly what I was going to do, what I was passionate about, what my strengths were, and I didn't get into nursing school. Or I was in this relationship. We were the perfect couple. I was convinced that we were going to be together forever, and then she broke up with me. Or, I had this perfect job. I knew exactly what I was supposed to do it. You know, my major, exactly. I was excited about it. And then I didn't get hired. My calling failed. And it is not okay for me to fail. Our culture says it is not okay for us to fail. But with God, failure is never fatal, it's directional. Failure is never fatal. It's directional. What we look at and we see as failures may simply be a redirection by God, a recalculation of who you can become. Maybe what God is saying is not now. God is calling you to something more than just what you do or who you're with. God is calling you to be who you are, who he created you to be, to look in the future and to hope. We look at the people of Judah, and they were destroyed. There was destruction. And in a lot of our situations, when we have failed, when we're struggling, I think we can look at that and say, I relate to their despair, their frustration. God doesn't have my best in mind. God does not comfort me. Why did you let this happen, God? What are you doing? Well, here's what I think Jeremiah offers us. It's a book about endings. There is destruction, there's pain, there is hurt, there is anger. There are people in crisis, but there are also glimmers of hope. This is where 2911 comes in. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God is talking to the people in exile when he says this. Their land has been destroyed. They're living in a foreign land. I'm gonna give you a future and hope. And at the, in Jeremiah's call, chapter one, see today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. God is going to build and plant. That is not just about destruction. Jeremiah is told later in the book, hey, go to Judah and buy some land. What? Why? Judah is completely destroyed. Because God is going to bring something new out of the ashes of this destruction, a redirection full of hope. It meant that God had resilient power to work something new among these people that have been destroyed, that have been displaced. It means that God has a resilient power and love to work in your life. It means that God will not quit. God is at work in the midst of our despair, our failures, our brokenness, Because with God, failure is not fatal. It's a direction. Something, we might not be able to see it absolutely clearly, we might know when and where, but something is going to come out of the destruction that we've experienced. Something new is going to rise of the ashes of your disappointment, your sin, your failure. Jeremiah reminds us that God's intention is to build and to plant, to give you hope To look at the future. So Jeremiah is called, and he is known before he's called. Jeremiah is inadequate. Jeremiah fails over and over again. And finally, Jeremiah is called to something bigger than himself. One of the things I love most about Jeremiah is, honestly, it makes me much more passionate to live a life of faith. At one point in the book, Jeremiah chapter 12, is another point where he's having a little bit of a hard time. As, um, last year's intern, Michael, Wu would say it was Strug Town for Jeremiah, yes. and he's complaining to God. He's saying, God, nobody listens to me. God, this is pathetic. I should just give up. And here's what God says in chapter 12, verse 5 of Jeremiah. If you have raced with people on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? And that verse, I love the first half of that verse. If you've raced with people and you're worn out, how can you run with horses? Eugene Peterson, the guy who translated the message, um, calls his book on Jeremiah, run with the horses. Now, I don't know much about about that necessarily. I've I've done some running in my life. Um a few years ago I ran the Seattle Marathon and like a lot of people I had a profound kind of um revelation as a result of that of that experience. And here's what I discovered. I hate running. (laughs) That's what I came out of with. Because I always I never feel like I'm going fast. I hate running and 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 I never, I don't know how to, I think it's because I don't move my arms enough. I don't know if you guys have noticed that um, there's a debate on whether or not Tom Cruise is actually a fast runner or if he just looks like he's a fast runner. Because in a lot of his movies, he's running, right? In the firm he runs, like Minority Report, maybe every Mission Impossible. And every time he runs, his arms are like this. So it looks like he's a super fast runner. But when you're running with other people, it never feels like you're going fast. It never feels like you're going fast. And I don't know what it looks like to... I don't know what it looks like to run with the horses. This is a metaphor that might be lost on us a little bit because we don't see horses a lot, but that's what I was thinking about with P.E., elementary school. When I think about running with the horses, I think about when you did those crazy walks like you did the crab walk. And did you guys ever gallop? Yeah, you remember galloping? This is how you gallop. Yeah, um, and it might not be faster than running, but it's a heck of a lot more fun, right, being able to gallop running like a horse. I don't necessarily know. I don't think that's what God was saying to Jeremiah. Run like a horse. Um, But the idea of running with horses, you know, if you can picture that, it's exhilarating. If you've watched a horse walk or trot, it looks pretty cool. But when you watch a horse run, it is doing what it was born to do, right? It's one of the most awesome things. I was uh, one time I was driving cross country. I don't know where we were, like southern Utah or something. And down in this canyon, we saw this herd of wild horses running. And we had to pull over to the side of the road to watch because it was awesome. I mean, it was like nothing else I've ever seen before. It was amazing. And when I think about running with the horses, um, I think about running alongside them, it, it makes my heart beat faster. I mean, that would be an exhilarating experience. I would imagine it would be sheer joy, and it would also be petrifying. It would be so scary. And I think I would feel more than anything else like I was totally out of control. I think that's where God wants us to be. He wants us to be exhilarated, but also be willing to be totally out of control and let him be in control. God's words to Jeremiah are challenging him to something more. Jeremiah, are you going to live cautiously or courageously? What is it you really want? Do you want to shuffle alongside the crowd, living a life of complacency, avoid failure, satisfied with the way things are? Or do you want to run with the horses? Running with the horses is hard, Jeremiah, because there is going to be failure. It's easier to walk amongst the average. Easier, but not better. Easier, but not more significant. Easier, but not fulfilling. I called you to a life of, pers- of purpose far beyond what you're actually capable of doing. Not to be successful, but to be faithful, to be significant. The response we get from Jeremiah isn't verbal. He doesn't say, okay, I'm in. But when we see when we look at his life and how he lived his life and who he was, he continued to trust God. And he said, I'll run with the horses. Many of the things that God calls us to have a chance of failing. The only way we can avoid failure is by doing nothing. But if you want to run with the horses, you have to be all in with God. You can't be one foot in and one foot out. You can't run with one leg. You have to be willing to fail. You have to have, all right, both legs in, are you gonna answer God's call on your life? Are you willing to give up the draw of success in order to live significantly? Are you willing to fail? Do you wanna live cautiously or do you wanna live courageously? What God wants to know is do you want to run with the horses? Let's pray. God, we want to live a life of exhilarating faith. We want to be people who aren't afraid of failure. That trust, it's not fatal, but it's a redirection from you. And we pray on that spectrum from failure to success, God, that our hope and our trust would be placed in you, our God who wants to give us a future. In your holy name, amen.